the combination of great storytelling that resonates with an audience with a better business model. I mean, we're talking about Disney level companies, like the next big media company will have community ownership and governance. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GM, thank you everybody for joining the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm your host. And today we're joined by an awesome, awesome guest, Mike Lazaro, an investor in Web3 projects and just a, a really avid NFT collector too. So I'm glad to have you on board. And I think your perspective on today's episode will be really insightful for a lot of our guests. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's been a dream of mine my whole life to be on your podcast. I'm excited to be here. I, I appreciate that. I think you got a dream a little bit bigger, but you know what? So That's maybe, what my mom tells me. <laughs> no, I appreciate it though. I that You're the first guest to tell me that hopefully others will be inspired to join the podcast too. But it's been a dream of mine to talk to you. You know, I'm, I'm excited to talk to people who aren't just like buying and flipping NFTs, but people who are really helping like build this new world and ecosystem that we're also excited about. So, you know, you're an investor in Pixel Vault and Autograph and Super Rare. And some of those really caught my eye, especially the Pixel Vault one, because personally, I'm a Pixel Vault Founders DAO holder. So, you know, I saw the uh, investment announcement and then did some, you know, digging into your background and, and reached out. So this conversation also hits home for me. Well, it's great to talk to another Founders DAO member. Heck yeah. So, you know, can you start off and share how you got into crypto and your, your journey there? Because I know that your investment and entrepreneurial background maybe didn't always start with crypto, but that's where you seem to be super passionate today. Yeah, it didn't start with crypto because crypto, as we knew, it wasn't around when I started in this kind of crazy internet world. And I went to Northwestern University, didn't have email when I went to college. That's how old I am. By the time I graduated, the commercial internet, at least the beginning, had begun. Graduated in 1996. And as a journalism major, I just saw the internet as this gift that I was given for something I could do for the rest of my life. And so I'd started a company in college called University Wire and went on to do that. Actually, take it public as part of a company called Student Advantage, which some of your listeners may know. And I continued with Web 1.0 with Golf.com, which was my company. And you know, then Web 2.0, I started investing in companies, Facebook and Tumblr and some others. But I started a company that you know, was a big marketing services platform software company called Buddy Media. And I'm a builder. And so I'm very hands-on. I come out of this community world. Um, we thought why I was so interested in the, in the internet was because of community. I look back at the well and early AOL and you know, I'm a huge music fan. I think we could all agree that Fish is the best band in the world if we can't agree on anything else. And what happened is I just, you know, I always looked at this technology as a way to bring people together. Web 2.0 didn't exactly end the way or turn out the way we'd all expected. But, you know, Web 3, I just jumped in like I did in Web 1.0, Web 2.0. You know, I love art. I love culture. I live in New York City. I like making money. I like trading. You know, I had originally bought Bitcoin in 2015 and had a bunch of Bitcoin and then Ethereum a little later. And so I just started turning some of the Ethereum. I don't touch my Bitcoin. That's separate. It's all locked up somewhere. But the Ethereum, I'm like, I could hold Ethereum or I could, you know, start to have some fun. And Really, it's my friend Gary V who said, Laz, you gotta buy these crypto punks, crypto punks, crypto punks. Thought I was having like a seizure about crypto punks. I'm like, oh, I gotta check these crypto punks out. And that was my first real purchase, pilot punk 
which I still have, the COVID Pilot Punk. At one point, I had three of them. I've sold some of them. And just joined community. So I wasn't just buying. I was like on Discord. I was Discord I knew just from the investing world and the game space. And I just loved the energy and the people and the builders. And that was way before I ever thought I'd like actually be an active investor in the space. Gotcha. So being able to join and participate was really what inspired you to start investing because it seems like you saw something there. What do you see as, especially with that background you described from web one and two and now into three, like what is the big difference that like, is there an inflection point or a light bulb moment where you said, okay, this is going to be big for this reason. And that's why I'm jumping in. There was an idea that was definitely that kind of light bulb, which was, oh, it's now possible to own something that's digital. You know, the history of the internet was value destruction of like digital property. If you really think about like what the internet did to newspapers, what it's done to IP, music's finally coming out of it, movies, it was basically not great for IP owners. The idea that things could go viral and travel very far without being monetized. At the same time, a lot of what we value most as humans are digital now. And so this idea that you could own something that's digital, but everyone else can enjoy it. So it's not preventing anyone else from putting it as their background or looking at it. That was like a really powerful idea. And then I kind of, as I was playing with it personally, I started thinking about like, where's this going? What's going to last longer than maybe 13 seconds? Because it seems to be like very short amount of time for a lot of these projects. And I started getting into kind of communities that really were transforming industries. So I remember my first conversation with John Crane over at Super Rare, I saw the future of art because a lot of my friends are creators, some artists, some journalists, some filmmakers, and they've never been able to participate in like the secondary markets, right? They've never been able to really most of monetize their work. And so it was starting in art, but I knew that, that wasn't where it was going to end, nor do I still today sitting here, do I think and it's going to end there. It just happens to be some of the early use cases. For me, it's all about the founders, the people working in a space, you know, the people I was working with on the internet back in the 90s. I'm still friends with a lot of them. They're really interesting people. A lot of the people I've been working with. And so I kind of follow the people I respect and where they are building. And just, I kept hearing about like, and this is back, you know, 2000, you know, way back when in the NFT world, right? Yeah, they were just focused on different problems being solved by this combination of blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies and, you know, NFTs and all this stuff that makes up Web3. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you say around the idea that you can own something like a digital asset on the internet. And that is such a central point that personally, I've been trying to get across to the people in my life, whether it's just talking on Twitter or actual in-person conversations with friends and family. But one thing that I feel like is maybe missing is a lot of people on the internet aren't creators, we're consumers. And, you know, that idea of being able to own something maybe resonates more with a creator. And that's maybe why art is such a early use case that is taking off. But, you know, I'm wondering how we get past that to, you know, the masses to how does owning something really affect the everyday person? Asset ownership is a very important part of our nation, really of all democratic societies. If you just look at our constitution, kind of the idea of private property being taken for public use and not being secure, that is protected. Oftentimes, you know, at least in our constitution, before a lot of other rights that we take for granted. And so like asset ownership is a foundation, not only of democracy, but prosperity and like freedom in many ways. And so I think we all have it in us to like support property ownership and asset ownership. 
NFTs just make it possible to own something that is digital. And when I say own something kind of, you know, securely and you could sell it and you could destroy it and you could verify it and it's authenticated and all that stuff. And so a lot of the projects that I'm most interested in are projects that bring in the masses. And so it started with art. I was so interested in kind of autograph because, you know, it was a winning team from internet, technology, entertainment, sports, obviously, you know, Tom and his friends who were coming in, Tom Brady and his friends, he'd gotten together. And to me, it was a huge on-ramp for everyday people. You know, these are big brands, they're winners, they're committed, they're staking their reputations. And a lot of what I'm doing with Pixel Ball right now, I same thing. Like we all, like if you look at any like Marvel movies, started the comic book and you know, way back when, it's kind of IP, it's creators. When I look at where we are today, like pick the number, but two million, three million-ish people own an NFT today. I think in three years, a hundred million people at least, at least will own an NFT partly because of some of these projects I'm talking about. And in 10 years, more people will own NFTs and paintings. I can't imagine that, I don't know, that my kids are going to be lining up to buy paintings first, like lining up to buy like digital. Yeah, I, I'm like looking around my apartment real quick, as you said that I don't own a painting. I do have an NFT related piece of merch that I bought for my mutant ape. So I got a skate deck and I've got a physical print, signed print from my Dead Ringers edition coming in the mail this week. So I'm excited to hang that up on the wall because, you know, I needed a piece of gen art. So yeah, for me personally, I'm going more towards physical prints of my NFTs than paintings. I love art of all kinds. You know, so I collect, as you could see behind me, you know, those are the cause toys. I have some cause art on the wall, you know, in the apartment. You know, I love music, but, you know, digital is what I want to collect because especially in New York City, right? It's like, I don't have to ship it. I don't have to hang it. I don't have to, I could show it on any screen. And so we have an opportunity to participate in the create in the creation of this space. And although a lot of the stuff won't be around, the stuff that will be around, I think will be really important, both companies and projects that are successful. Yeah. You mentioned that your friend Gary V and he said something that I thought resonated with me a lot around the idea of collection, especially for, you know, the new generation rising up from a digital standpoint. Also, we so many of us live in cities and like now that we're so much more social than ever before because of Web2 and some of these Web3 communities, you can't share the things in your home and in your space and that you love really easily with people. But now I can I can share my NFTs in these virtual galleries with my friends in like way better ways than I can this print on my wall. So and I, we have more like screens than we ever have. Like all this is over my shoulder for those who can see if you're watching online is just Apple TV with like my what I like. You know, I only display stuff I own, but I could also display anything, which I'm cool with because that just helps popularize that stuff. Yeah, the world revolves around stories and really what NFTs are, string of data that have stories attached to them. That metadata and the real data around the stories of each one, you know, that's why I'm so interested in a lot of these projects. And that's why I was so interested in Pixel Vault. It's a perfect transition into Pixel Vault because, you know, I read your post about stories online and, and the importance of that. And I'd like you to share with the people listening, like, why are stories so important to these NFT projects because we're seeing that more and more online about the value of building that story and that lore and how that brings people together. And so like, what do you see in Pixel Vault that they're doing right? And how do you think that story is going to last the test of time? Pixel Vault as an investment is very new. It actually feels a little weird to be like inside the company, so to speak. I minted 10 of the first comics. So I think I have comic 105 to 114. You know, after we announced it, a bunch of the community members were like, who is this investor? Like, dude, I've been there from the beginning, right? I love the project from the beginning because of stories. I saw it as the first project that I had seen at the time. It was going back like May 
of last year, a little before, before it was actually before the mint as they were building up to it. And it was good versus evil. It was, you know, these timeless stories, not that it was all baked, but the idea that it wasn't just, you know, even at the time I was like, does the world need, I think I used pudgy penguins maybe at the time as an example of like, do we need just that? Now fast forward and you could ask the question again, but the idea that this could be serialized content, that it could be content that is owned by the community, that the community could help create and market and capture some of the upside from the appreciation of their assets, low mint prices, price specifically to appreciate. It wasn't a cash grab, it didn't sell out. This wasn't one of these things I was on a whitelist you know, doing jumping jacks and pull-ups to figure out if I could like mint it. They were basically like, we're doing this. We think it's cool. If you think it's cool, mint it for not a lot. Then they started, you know, make choices. Do you want to burn this for a founder's DAO token? Do you want to do this with that? And they created a community on the back of like this serialized content. And it's just the beginning. And so it used to be that, you know, you had a comic book and then you made it into a movie. Now it's kind of like you have an NFT that makes a comic book. Does it become a movie? How's that movie made? How's it funded? Who owns it? All this stuff that, you know, we can do with Web3 is like really cool. What does a decentralized media company look like? It doesn't mean that all of the profits go into the community. It means that there's a sense of ownership and governance. And that's why Jacob you know, joined from Fenwick. He's one of the world's most experts in like DAOs and governance structures. And it's a fascinating experiment in a media company starting with just a better business model. And the better business model, think about the movies, right? Like you option, if you're a creator, you option it to a studio. It may or may not get done. It costs a hundred million, takes three years. This, they create content, they sell it, and they fund, which funds whatever they want to do. And so that kind of shift kind of empowers the creator in a way that they never were empowered. And so they can control the destination of the stories with their community. And, you know, Sean, aka G-Funk, is a really special founder, transparent, smart, good looking. I I want to dive into G Funk in just a second, but before that, you know, let's touch on a comment you made about the ability for fans and supporters to own some of these assets and then help with the marketing of that. And you know, this could be because I'm not the biggest comic fan, to be honest. I, I've never been a comic fan before Pixelvolt, so this is kind of new territory for me. And I'm, the new Batman's about to drop. We just had a Spider Man. Their fans are very avid communicators online, but do you see the marketing potential from like ownership communities to be much more powerful than your average fan today? So it's different and it's, it's hard to even compare them. And most of my life is spent being a fan of like traditional media, right? Like I've been to way too many concerts. I'm not even going to tell you how many fish shows I've been to where you buy a ticket, right? You show up. It's all we've ever been able to do, you know, up until. Yeah. And there's no sense of ownership, but you feel a sense of ownership. You're disappointed when they kind of go on hiatus. You kind of, their wins are your wins, their losses. But it's at the end of the day, a relatively distant relationship and a relationship where there's no real aligned financial interests. I look at this space as the idea that you are participating in some of the economic benefits that come with popularizing the franchise. And so Pixel Vault specifically has very big visions of being on every type of screen, all sorts of games, licensing divisions, where your meta heroes, which you know is really the driver of the gaming community there. And I think ultimately a lot of the franchises those are going to be global and those are going to be recognizable and those are going to be in your wallet. You can buy them right now. 
it's a project that I like projects that are not overnight success stories. It didn't sell out. Super Rare was working for four years before it raised any money and really broke out, right? And so to me as a collector, a very big collector of Pixel Vault before, you know, Punk's comic and Meta Heroes and, you know, Planet's Dow sets, I have, if, I, if it exists, I have it most likely, all of which happened before I invested. It feels very different and the community feels different. I think the founder DAO Discord channel is one of the best online communities I've ever joined. And it's on Discord, which is suboptimal for the record. I guess it's really interesting just because we've never thought about the, the a decentralized entertainment company, a media company, and the the demand for that. And I feel like the demand is almost being created in real time as people realize what could be. And so it sounds like you really see this going into actual feature films, just like the the Superman, the Batman, the Spider-Man movies we see today. You see those same kind of storylines being developed. And now the owners of those characters being the people in the community. 100%. You don't have to listen to me. This is G-Funk's vision. He could have started with anything. He could have found koalas. He could have found whatever the project was. He's from Hollywood. His dad is a legendary production person behind the scenes. It's story first. I hadn't seen that at the time. May of last year, April of last year, it was new. The idea of like, we're going to start with serialized content. And it's built for multimedia. It's built to tell stories across every media. NFTs at the end of the day, it's not a product. They're not a product. It's a medium in which storytellers can bestow ownership for some of their stories to their collectors, to fans, to to people who want to buy them. And when done right, we've seen that they can create very big businesses very quickly. I minted board apes. Like when I was minting, did I think they were going to be what they are? Definitely not. Like I was minting everything. It's not like I picked them out. And I think they've shown with and what they did, what the doodles have done, you know, with their project, with the art and, you know, most recently with their, you know, I sent my five doodles to space today. You know, Godspeed. Hope they come back and don't get lost wrapped in the contract. Those projects just pioneered, but everything builds on itself. Like without CryptoPunks, we don't get to Board Apes. Without Board Apes, we don't get to whatever is going to come next. And you just can't recreate being of the moment and timely and unique. And so I've stopped guessing what's coming next. And I just hope entrepreneurs call me and look at me as a different investor than others. I just recently was reflecting on a, a different podcast and this one on what crypto means to me. I had to draw the distinction between crypto originally for me was very finance focused. And now with NFTs, we've come about all these different use cases that are being built out every, every day, it feels like. And we've gone from like, it started with the crypto punks and we went through this like art and then gen art phase. And then we entered this profile picture phase and then it went to like music and photography and now we're in the gaming. And those use cases are just going to continue to be explored. And so what we're doing right now, and you, you're kind of talking about, you're minting everything and, and seeing what sticks. Today, you know, a year later, we're, we may not be minting everything because there's more, more projects that aren't built to last than ever, but I do think those use cases will continue to be explored and things we're not thinking of yet. A year ago, I was much at, more active minting. I don't mint a lot, but when I do, you know, I've learned to just like build bigger positions. And so, you know, I minted the world of women and for a while just like hung out, didn't do a lot. I had my 10, I still have my 10. I thought that community was cool, it was important. And so now, I ignore most things, but when I go in, I'm trying to like build a real investment position. That's when I do it personally. We do very few deals on the fund side. So I'm now registered investment advisor investing, you know, my first 60 deals were off the balance sheet of my wife and I. Now we have outside capital. The bar for us to do a deal 
you know, at Velvet Sea Ventures is much higher than me just minting, you know, a few doodles. Makes sense. Well, let's keep diving into some of the projects that Velvet Sea is is looking into. And, you know, before we jump off of Pixel Vault and Punk's comic, I'd like to ask a few more there. In maybe a, a brief way, since we talked about G-Funk a, a little bit already, are there any lessons that you've learned from him from a founder's perspective that you would pass on to other Web3 founders or people interested in starting NFT projects themselves? Yeah, the biggest one is just do it. I get emails, Twitter messages, you know, every day from founders saying, I have an idea for this. Just do it. It's never been easier to create something and monetize it than right now. If you think of like the web, you launch content, aggregate an audience and either like sell the data or sell advertising. Like it was really hard to make money. Like e-commerce, you need inventory, you need a website, you need shipping, like all this stuff. Now in an afternoon, you could like mint anything and like sell it. Now, I'm not saying do that, but what G-Funk did was basically say, he did everything he needed to do just to launch ASAP and listen to the community and continue to build. And so that mentality, that builder's mentality, I love. And I, I would hope that if I were young again, starting companies, that would be my mentality, which is basically what I did. It was harder, but it was when I did UWire, I launched the student news service from, you know, poorly wired dorms in Evanston, Illinois. I didn't wait for people to say yes or no. I just did it. And I think we're, we're in, just get it done. We're in a get it done. The issue now is like, if you get it done, you got to stick with it. And so I think we're having an issue with like some of the people who launch stuff maybe don't have the follow through. And that's why I, mean, why I love Chifung from the beginning as a collector is he just like would always get, you know, rain or shine. He's there on Wednesdays at the town hall, talking to the community, getting feedback, explaining what he's trying to do. That's hard. That long-term mentality is something that I've definitely noticed myself. And it's tough for people to think with such long time preferences. And it's also tough that the NFT market is expecting innovation at a pace that I would say is really unprecedented compared to traditional companies. And, you know, is that expectation almost doomed to lead founders and builders to failure because we can't continually drop features and products and on a daily basis, you know, and that's almost what it feels like the NFT world wants. So it's been interesting to see Pixel Vault specifically be able to withstand this over the course of a year. And also, you know, Bored Apes, they, they drop slowly, but that actually seems to work in their favor. The issue of most projects is it's easy to create a roadmap, but it's hard to deliver anything, especially delivering something that's non-dilutive to the original mint. The projects that have done well, and I put like Bored Apes and Doodles and, you know, I could probably come up with 50 others that like I respect, have found ways to deliver something, right? And if you look at what Bored Apes delivered, it's very specifically around like mutants and, you know, and community where they really fostered that and brought people onto the team that could really grow the team. It's all about expectations. And I think what G-Funk did from the beginning is he set the right expectations. There's gonna be three or four comics a year. There's gonna be these smaller stories that you will see will tie together. We are going to turn over governance of our video game or our gaming world to the community and he did it. You know, they have a pretty complicated DAO structure and you don't bring on Jacob from Fenwick to not utilize that firepower, right? And so you're going to see a lot of their innovation around like the use of DAOs and governance and what it means to own these assets. Since you brought up DAOs, you know, so many people in Web3 are decentralization, 100% maxis, yet, you know, Pixel they raised money from venture capital, bringing in this off-chain funding. And I, I'm curious from you to hear about how you really see the 
off-chain world working with the on-chain one because Pixelvolt has this DAO system, but it seems to be like we're almost in a, a flexible DAO territory where we have funding coming from NFT mints, we have DAOs that hold community-driven funds, and then we also have this off-chain venture capital funding that's helping build maybe some of the behind-the-scenes things that are coming up in the future, right? So do you really see VC and like community-generated funds coming together in a cohesive way? And like, what's the power of bringing in both? Really good question. And I think we're just at the beginning. There are no right answers. I'm a realist. And we are all off-chain creatures. You eat off-chain. You live off-chain. You screw off-chain. You have kids off-chain. You get married off-chain, right? We are people. Blockchain technologies have provided us new opportunities to, I think, connect with others in a better way, to transact with others in a better way, to organize ourselves in a better way. And so I'm constantly asking my companies and founders and projects, does this need to be on chain? In the case of some projects, yes. And I think what Super Rare has done has been awesome. I think they're the most advanced marketplace of any kind in terms of Web3 and decentralization. 100% of the money goes into the, you know, into the DAO. It's a model that I know John and Jonathan and Charles and you know founders there really wanted to do to show what was possible. If you can't do it in art, when can you do it? If we can't lift up artists with like secondary royalties and collector royalties for the collectors and have the money go back into the community. And so they've done it and they did it after we invested, right? Like I made an investment into a company and the company then turned 100% of the economics over to a DAO with my blessing, right? I've, I think it's the right thing to do. I didn't, you know, people are like, oh, VCs are going to like, you know, tell you what to do. And like, no, like I bought way before I invested, I was buying super rare art, right? Now I look at Pixel Vault and they are doing, I think, what they need to do on chain, which is pretty much everything they can and what's not on chain is some of the stuff you need to be a company if you're going to be a project you can pay people in ETH and you could just use personal wallets but if you're going to hire a thousand people which i don't think is that many people if you look at like all of the stuff that pixel wallet wants to get into it's really hard to do that as a DAO. it's really hard to get people to pay to get get people paid, to get them healthcare, to get them benefits. Cigna, Blue Cross, they don't take crypto from companies, right? And so the role of VC is no different than the role of any community member. It's just more important to us. I don't look at it as us crashing a party. We are joining a party. We are joining a community. We have superpowers that will help the community grow, just like the artists have superpowers that are going to help the community grow, just like G-Funk has superpowers, just like the lawyers have superpowers. Our superpowers at Velvet Sea are like we were operators. We come with capital that can accelerate things, which is non-dilutive to the community. They could go out and raise $100 million. I think that that would hurt, potentially, the meta heroes, like, do they want to really charge an ETH per sidekick? I don't think so. And so there's nothing inherently bad about VCs. I say that being an entrepreneur who has worked for 25 years with VCs and as a VC myself, there are some awful VCs and there's some awesome VCs. And I think projects need to understand who they're working with no matter where they come from, whether they're a VC or an artist. I've yet to see nefarious behavior around a project from a VC. I've seen a lot of bad stuff from anonymous you know, creators. Yeah. 
you bring up a really good point about the need for some of that off-chain capital to do things that businesses need to grow. And that is just an overlooked thing that maybe people who aren't on the ground floor of a startup or, you know, building a company don't often see. And so super valid and important. Real quick before I ask you a follow-on question though, are are you envisioning Pixel Vault being a thousand person company one day? I think that's not even close to their how big it could be. I mean, I think the combination of great storytelling that resonates with an audience with a better business model. I mean, we're talking about Disney level companies, like the next big media company will have community ownership and governance. There's, it's just, you look at what Keith's doing at time and how that's resonating. And these are just models that I think every company are going to do. I think you have to commit to do it. You can't say you're community driven and not be. I've run public companies. G Funk is running a company in public, right? I had to stand up every quarter and just like read off a script. G Funk every week is meeting with his stakeholder base. And if you've been in some of those meetings, if you're a founder, like it ain't always easy, especially with some of his like structure that he had set up before we got involved. Totally. Yeah. I wasn't even really thinking about that difference on how, you know, the public companies that you really do, you know, how often do you hear from a CEO? And when you do, it's pretty much a, a canned and pre very, very scripted conversation versus this organic conversation we're having together. Now, you know, are there challenges with that as we scale, whether it's Pixel or any other community? Sure. Even as an investor myself in the project, as I'm listening to you, making me realize more on how impressive it is and gives me more faith in the long-term outlook of the project. So, you know, you also mentioned different types of people involved in projects. Some of them can be harmful and some of them can be helpful. How important is it to you right now that contributors or leaders of Web3 projects are doxxed versus anonymous or pseudo-anonymous. And on one hand, this decentralized ability to be able to have a voice and not having it taken away is such a core component of you know crypto and that ethos. And on the other hand, we need to know who we are trusting with our capital and our like good faith, right? How do you draw that distinction and when you're looking to get into a project today? This has really evolved over the last year for me, because I was one of the biggest supporters of kind of anons and the ability to just the ethos of crypto. And I still think that it has a place. And also this comes out of like, you know, trained journalists, freedom of speech. There's nothing more important. You know, if you look at what's important to free societies, it's like ownership and speech, right? Or two, and when I say speech, freedom of religion and everything that comes with it. When you take money from a community or from investors, I think you give up some of those rights. Meaning like, we are cool with you being anonymous, but you have a responsibility to us because we've given you money to act in a certain way that is more ethical, transparent. And... The issues in crypto that we've seen of late among some of these NFT projects have been founders who were hiding behind a veil and took a lot of money and weren't properly vetted. And I very recently, as of this weekend, said, if you are anonymous, I am officially going to just assume you have something to hide until I learn otherwise. I used to give you the benefit of the doubt that this is part of crypto. Now it's basically why. What are you running from? What bad shit did you do? Why do you not want people to know who you are? I'm not saying you can't overcome that by like having a long history of doing the right thing. And I think there's some in our industry that whether you agree with them or not, we kind of know how they act, Pranksy being one that comes to mind. Like we kind of know him 
or her or whoever's behind that because of like years really of like action or months and months and months, right? I bought like, I've transacted with them. I bought some of my crypto punks from him. I tried to buy my first board eight from him to no avail though. <laughs> no response on Twitter. Raising 70 million bucks without people knowing who you are, like red flags. And now I say that because I really traffic in my reputation every day of my life. If I don't do the right thing, the enterprise that is Michael Lazaro and Velvet Sea Ventures is gone. My value to entrepreneurs is based on what I've done for other entrepreneurs. It's based on what I've done with my own companies, the employees who I've been responsible for, how I've acted. And it's not always been easy. Every entrepreneur goes through hell, usually every day. It's the hardest job in the world, right? And so, as you guys know, you're a young company. And so, I think we need to stop starting from a space of like, oh, it's okay to be anonymous and start with maybe a little more skepticism. Do we really want to spend three ETH with, like, we don't know, right? Yeah. No, totally. And I appreciate that perspective. I definitely started off on the same note. I saw a lot of power on what being anonymous can be. Maybe it's for people in other countries. It's for kids and and people under the age of 18 being able to start getting involved in maybe, I don't know what I'd say, business creation. Whereas in a lot of ways, we kind of stop that just based on an age or where you're from. Yeah, the more that the NFT space evolved, I think. And I think freedom is like, so like I'm a scholar of like, freedom of speech and all of these the issues, because I think without it, without truth, I think we're starting to see what happens in the world. And if you look at kind of protected speech, the more commercial it is, the less protected it is. You could say whatever you want, basically, as an artist. You could say whatever you want from a political speech standpoint, right? But if you say something that includes someone's like trademark and you actually like, there's any money involved. No, that's not protected, right? And I think we should start looking at a new framework for anonymous crypto actors that basically is like, we're cool if you're just like talking and you're sharing your ideas, where we're not cool is if we're, if you're like standing in front of a community transacting, like that's kind of like, come on, you got to yeah. tell us who you are. Yeah. Totally. Great conversation. And I'd like to move on to the next segment of the podcast where we do what I'm calling one, two, web three. If you're cool with that. Whatever you want. I'm here for you. All right, let's do it. So you have a lot of art displayed in your background. I've been watching them fly by actually for the, the last 46 minutes we've been chatting. I've seen, I think I saw a noun in there. I saw a bunch of pixel vault stuff. I saw an ape, world of women. You got the doodles on the pillow. But I'm curious, what's your favorite NFT that you own? If I owned a MetaHero core from Pixel Vault, it would by far be my best, my favorite one. But right now it's, and I think it probably will always be because it was one of my first, and it just reminds me of the time we're in. It's the CryptoPunk pilot COVID character. So it wasn't COVID back in 2017, but look on my Right TV. there, right there, right now. It's the mask. I don't know if you know, but these pilots are World War II heroes. They're the only female pilots that were in World War II. There were only 54 of them. They're very brave women. And, you know, I love having a woman as my avatar also because there's something cool about. So I think like to me, the more I buy, the more I just keep going back to Amelia Crypto Heart is what I call her. I love it. You're building you're building lore in real time. She's kick ass. Like all 54 of those are kick ass, kick ass characters. Something that will maybe always haunt me is I was standing around at my dining room table with some of the friends I was living with last year. And I was like, all right, are we about to buy a crypto punk together? I couldn't convince everybody to throw down that much ETH. I'm, I'm open to more risk than some of my friends. And we ended up buying a Euler Beat print. I was at a lower price range. I, I was learning a lot about gen art, on-chain stuff, early project. We went with that instead. 
that may always haunt me, but I, lo- I love the punks. I got four Euler beat prints also. So I did that also. I have partners of my wife. I sat down with her and I said, you're not going to like anything I'm about to tell you. And I showed her crypto punks and she's like, how much? And it was probably the most stress I've ever felt in my marriage. Like trying to explain why I bought these JPEGs. Fast forward, we're now getting to a point where people kind of take it for granted that these things are ownable. Three years from now, game on. That's when the real fun is going to be here. I just like your mentality of being this holder. You're a holder for the long term. You're buying the things you like. And I'm just really drawn to people who have that kind of conviction around things that are hard to understand and, and envision in the future because you know, someone has to believe in it first for it to get to that future state. So I appreciate your your long-term thinking there. Second question is, who's an influential Web3 creator, entrepreneur, collector that you really look up to or have been educated by? I mean, the number one is Gary Vee. And I say that because he really pulled me into the space. We go back a long time. He started VaynerMedia from my conference room. So it's not just we're friends from like social media, like very dear friends, him and his family. For two years, he's been yelling baseball cards, you know, sports cards at me. And I've never been a sports card person. I should have bought Jordan rookies when he was telling me and they're now like four million bucks. So he got me into the space. What has kind of powered me forward are really the artists. So I've gotten very close with some artists, MBSJQ, one of the big super rare artists, you know, single dad in London, uh, makes art with his daughter, Boo. He makes a lot of these Astro and the universe pieces that have been featured actually in all sorts of media. You know, Amber Vittoria, who you actually used to work at Vayner. I love her colors. You know, these artists were basically graphic designers who had no way to make a living other than like just doing corporate work, which is like soul crushing. And like just seeing the world through their eyes, partly because of my position at Super Rare, but just as a collector, you know, my first things that I bought after CryptoPunks were just one-on-one art. That's what keeps me going. And that's how I learn about projects. Like if other artists are collecting, then it's good, right? Like I grew up, Jew in DC, the delis that had all like the old Jewish guys in it, that's, those are the delis you want, right? Like, and I think going forward, what's really interesting is that, you know, this is culture. Like what comes out of the subcultures of NFTs will be like culture. I'm loving seeing what's happening with music, photography, you know, every art form. It's awesome. Totally. No, good answer. Gary Vee's also inspired me. You know, I think we have a lot in common. I'm learning from this interview episode right now. I also grew up Jewish in DC. I've also looked up to Gary Vee for years. Me and my best friend, we we made a music video called I Feel Like Gary Vee. We've been trying to get his attention on it for years. Well, let's play it right now. For <laughs> we were pushing um, kind of a rap thing going on. I got a, I got a picture behind me from some of our concerts. Well, the third question in the one, two, web three is in five years, what's the craziest thing you think we'll be doing in the metaverse that we're not even thinking about yet? By far the craziest thing I think that we're going to do in five years is not be in the metaverse. And when I say that, it's because of the technology that I've seen these waves and what happens is everything is a reaction to everything else. And so the next few years, it's going to be all metaverse. And we're going to be building apps and we're going to figure out onboarding and we're going to spend a lot of time there. I think in five years, we're going to realize how great the real world is and how great connecting with people is. And the more technology spreads, the more we want to connect. And that's something that is just human. And what I saw through Facebook early on was this desire to both connect with your community, 
to be like them and simultaneously express why you're different and being an individual. Yeah, you know, what we're going to realize about all of this stuff in the metaverse is it's great for like gaming and for like rather than sitting in front of a two-dimensional screen playing like a golf game, hopping in with your buds, hanging out like in a 3D environment for an hour is cool, but then going to your kid's baseball game, right? Or doing something. And so I think that like, like all of this stuff, metaverse, you know, we talk too much about it. It's just the next cool experience layer. And I hope it's owned by all of us and not just one company like Web 2.0. Beautiful. No, good answer. We'll check in in five years and see how that plays out. Well, Mike, thanks so much for diving into NFTs, your thesis behind investing in some projects, talking about the the trends and future roadmap of, of Web3 that you see. I, I learned a lot in this episode, and I think a lot of the people listening to the Unstoppable podcast will too. Before we hop off, can you please let everybody know how they can follow you and get in touch with the work that you're doing? Yeah, easiest way is Twitter. So at Lazaro, L-A-Z-E-R-O-W, or you could write me through like Lazaro.com or VelvetCVC.com. And uh, thank you for your time. It was an honor being here. You're welcome. If everybody's listening, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or Spotify if you're listening there. If you're watching on YouTube, please drop a like, subscribe to the channel. It really helps us grow and reach more listeners who are interested in learning more about the metaverse and Web3. So with that, we'll see you next week on the Unstoppable Podcast. Peace out. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And remember, this conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you, and thank you so much for listening.